Due to technical issues, we join Pastor Jim Butcher's message already in progress. If you go back to uh, 167 BC, there was such a thing that happened. Um, the ruler and the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes uh, set up an altar to Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem, where the, the uh, where the offerings were normally done, and then he sacrificed the pig there, which is of course an unclean animal in the Jewish religion. And it was a um, it was a an initial fulfillment of the prophecy about the abomination that causes desolation. Although we have in the tribulation the ultimate fulfillment of that. And again, back then when when he did that sacrifice, it was an abomination to the Jews, and it caused a horrible reaction. And so as we talk about that phrase, the abomination that causes desolation. As we go through the tribulation and the trigger halfway through the great tribulation, we're going to have the Antichrist doing, and we don't know exactly what it is. It's got to have to do with Israel because the, the Jewish state is very uh, prominent in this whole thing. But he's going to do something that will be considered an abomination, but then it's going to create this desolation situation. Now, continuing with that thought, um, not only is he going to do that, and this may have to do with the abomination that causes desolation, we don't know for sure, but within that, he's going to set himself up, not just as a ruler, but he's going to set himself up as God. Uh, let me see the next passage, Joe. So in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, and the man of laws, which is an alternate name for the Antichrist, uh, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God and is worshipped, so that he sets himself in up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So we can see where that would tie right into the idea of the abomination that causes desolation. And so what we then see is that he betrays Israel as a result of all that's going on. And then we have, let's go back to Matthew chapter 24 and look at 21 and 22. As all this happens, that is the trigger for the worst three and a half years of human history, which is the Great Tribulation, which is what we've been discussing. So notice in Matthew 24, 21 and 22, gives us that, that taste, it gives us that picture of how bad it's going to be. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world to now. Let's just pause for a second. I want you to think about all the horrible things, like humanity is terrible, and all the bad stuff we've done, and the, the genocides, and all the, the horrible things throughout history that humanity has done. For this passage to say, there will be great distress unequal from the beginning of the world till now. Let's just pause for a second and say, holy cow. Think about how bad this is going to be if it's worse than the things that have come before. And never to be equal again. Verse 22. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive but for the sake of the elect. Now, why does it mention the elect here if we said a couple weeks ago that the church was taken out? And the answer is that during this time it is possible for people to be saved. And so there are those who have been saved and then suffered incredible persecution because of being saved during this time. But there are those who are saved during the tribulation. And so that's the reference there to the elect. 
but for the sake of the elect, those days will be short. And so what we see here is the great tribulation triggering uh, the worst three and a half years of human history. So how does the great tribulation end? That's number four. So the great tribulation comes to a bloody climax with the battle of Armageddon. It comes to a bloody climax with the battle of Armageddon. So we've all heard the phrase, you know, the battle of Armageddon. We know it's the, the final, uh, in one sense, the final battle. It's the final battle of the, the great tribulation. Um, and, and so as we think about that, we know it's a big bloody battle. It's going to end, well, some people won't know this, but it's going to end with the return of Christ, which we'll get to in just a second. But the point we want to make this morning is just this. So we have the rise of the Antichrist, we have three and a half years of relative peace and everybody thinking he's great. Then there's the abomination that causes desolation. He sets himself up as a God. We have this horrible three and a half years, and it's going to end with the, the battle of Armageddon. And so it's going to be horribly bloody. We don't have time to get into all that this morning, but just to say, it, as you look at the, the numbers, it is a horrific battle. It is incredibly bloody. Which leads us to number five. And again, don't shut up your outlines because I've got something else I want to get into this morning, which is why I'm trying to be great in this part. And the last part is the tribulation ends with the second coming of Christ. The tribulation ends with the second coming of Christ. Back in Matthew 24 here, we want to look down at verses 29 and 30. It says in 29 and 30, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So we're talking about cataclysmic events. Verse 30, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean that there's a sign like, hey, look, there's, there's a cloud that says a certain thing. The sign is the return of Christ. It is Jesus coming back. And all the peoples of the earth, this is interesting, will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Why will they mourn? When we talk about a church, we're like, man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Well, guess what? If you've been doing all this evil for three and a half years and things have been really horrible, you've been doing things that, that looked up to Antichrist, guess who you don't want to have to show up? You don't want Jesus to show up. And so, as it talks about there, when Jesus returns, it's not going to be like, yay, Jesus is coming to save us. There's going to be great mourning because they have all been in league, many of them, not all, but the majority of them have been in league with the Antichrist and doing that which is wrong. And so the return of Jesus after these three and a half years of the worst evil that has ever happened is not going to be a, here I am, I know you're all about to see me, but Jesus is coming to destroy the works of Satan. And so as we think about that, we see this big picture here, and, and again, we're, we're taking it from 30,000 feet, uh, of what exactly is going to happen. And the, the large idea that we want to, to emphasize this morning is this, you don't want to be here for this. And so as we go back to, we were talking about the rapture and the church being taken out, as we understand taken out of the world before the tribulation, as we understand how bad this time is going to be, we should be incredibly thankful this morning to be able to say, I'm glad I'll be gone and not be part of it. Amen? Amen. And so we need to understand that, that we should be thankful for that. 
if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then you need to say, you know, among all the other reasons, and there's a lot of other reasons to want Jesus, but one of the reasons you should want Jesus is I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be out of here, and so I want to cast my lot with Jesus and know that I'm going to be with him whenever this whole thing breaks loose. And so we understand that this is the way things are going to go according to the scripture. And as we do that, we put our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ, because even though, even as the world continues to get worse, and is going to have this time that's going to be the worst in history, I want to be on Jesus' side. Now, having said all that, I, I want, I realize what we're talking about this morning is, is wildly divergent than the way we normally think about the future. Well, I think things are going to keep getting better. I think things are going to keep getting worse. There's a lot of visions out there for the way that the future is going to happen. And then we've talked about this. And so we look at our outline this morning, and we're like, man, that is a very specific plan that the Bible lays out and says what's going to happen. And uh, and that's very different than the way that everybody else says the world's going to go. So let's talk for a second, and I, want to, I promise I'll be brief. I want to ask this question. How plausible is this? Okay, we know that I'm not saying the Bible doesn't teach it. The Bible clearly teaches it. But I want to talk for a second. You feel free to take notes at the bottom of your outline because I want to briefly nail five things. How plausible is this? And here's what I want to compare it to. We are living in 2020, which is a horrible year for that number issue. Um, I want to compare, I want to ask five things as a person in 2020. I want to go back 200 years and think of a person in 1820 who was reading these same passages and understands the same Bible. And as they look at these passages, I want to compare the way they would look at them and what they understand of the world around them and roll up 200 years forward and ask, is what the Bible lays out here compared to what a, a, an American congregation would think 200 years ago, has what Jesus lays out, has what the Bible laid out, become more plausible over the last 200 years or less plausible? Do we have reason to not just say, I believe it because the Bible said it, but also to be able to say, man, look at the way these things are coming together. Let's hit five things just briefly. All right? Number one, let's talk about uh, Israel. Israel. So Israel plays a huge role in, in this larger uh, uh, thing that we're talking about. We talked about the Antichrist making a, a covenant with Israel. And so Israel plays a very prominent place. If I was looking at this passage, these passages 200 years ago, what would I say? What's it talking about Israel? Israel doesn't even exist. Israel hasn't existed for centuries. How in the world can you have Israel doing all this stuff when Israel doesn't exist and hasn't existed for a long time? So 200 years ago, one of the problems would be, if you were a skeptic to the Bible, you'd say, there is no Israel to do all this, so it can't happen. There's still Jewish people around, obviously, but there is no Israel. Fast forward 200 years. What do we have now? We have a nation of Israel. Has what the Bible teaches become less plausible or more plausible over the last 200 years? More plausible. Far more plausible. Second issue. Let's talk about weapons of destruction. So, as we get to the battle arm again, it, it has to do with these with these massive numbers of casualties. It is it is mind-boggling the, the number of casualties that it talks about. So, we go back 200 years, and back then, how'd you kill each other? Well, if you used a gun, you know, I mean, you had to load that thing and kill one person at a time. 
And now we fast forward 200 years and think of the weapons that we now have and the amount of people that we can kill with one bomb. The amount of people we can kill with one weapon. 200 years ago, a congregation was looking at what the Bible says about the number of casualties in the Battle of Armageddon. You'd have to look at that and say, there's no way. How do you get all those numbers? That's too many people to kill in one battle. Now you fast forward 200 years, can we kill that many people in one battle? No problem. Because we've created all these horrific weapons that give us the ability to kill massive numbers of people relatively easily. So over the last 200 years, on the issues of weapons of mass destruction, has the Bible become more plausible on this issue or less plausible? More plausible. Third one. I want to look at the passage over Revelation. I think it's interesting. Look with me over Revelation chapter 9 just for a second. I want to actually look at two passages uh, just briefly. Revelation 9 and uh, verse 16. Revelation 9, 16. So the, the third question is this. Uh, so we talked about this first week. The third question is an army of 200 million. An army of 200 million. So in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 16, it says, The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. Now, for those of you that are bad at math, the math adds up there to 200 million soldiers. 200 million soldiers. So let's go back to our second. So if I'm back in 1820, and I hear, okay, there's going to be 200 million soldiers involved in this from probably from one country, you can't, no, no nation can have that big an army. We don't have the numbers. Today, there are at least two nations, both India and China, who have the population just in one nation to be able to, to bring forward 200 million soldiers without help from any other country. China can do it, and India can do it. 200 million soldiers is a lot of soldiers. And 200 years ago, you'd have to look at that and say, who could do that? But today, 200 years later, is it less plausible or more plausible? It's more plausible. Because we have a much greater population, and we have nations that literally have the ability to bring forward 200 million soldiers. Number four is this. Um, a 10-country confederation in Europe. A 10-country confederation in Europe. So, one of the things we talked about a moment ago was that the Antichrist rises from a 10-country confederation in Europe. There have been different points in our history, just took World War II for World War I, for instance, where you would say, man, Europe has never had that happen because look, look how much they hate each other, look how they're killing each other. And yet, what do we have for quite a while now in Europe? Now, it's not at this point exactly 10 nations, it's a little bit bigger than that. But as you look at that, you have to stop and say, man, that sure kind of heads in the direction of what the Bible talked about with a bunch of nations in Europe all coming together and creating a confederation. Again, you go back 200 years, that'd be ridiculous. And we fast forward to 2020, and a 10 nation confederation out of Europe. It sounds pretty plausible. And then the last one. Let's look over in Revelation chapter 13. Maybe uh, the most amazing of the five. The last one I want to look at is the Mark of the Beast. The Mark of the Beast. So in Revelation 13, 
and verse 16. It says, It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they did not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number is 666. Let's go back up to 16 and 17, where it talks about a mark on your hand or on your forehead and not being able to buy or sell without that. If you were back in 1820, when a lot of it was still barter and, and the amount of uh, currency that was, that was available was pretty limited, you, you would say, you know, I don't, I don't any idea what you're talking about there. That sounds like insane stuff. This is the way we do things now. You fast forward to 2020. Here's where we're at now. It's not even that we read that passage and say, you know what? I could see that happening someday. That doesn't happen to happen. That does, the, the technology to make that happen does not need to happen sometime in the future. We have that technology today. We have the ability today to put something, a little chip, in somebody's right hand so that you know, they can scan it just like you scan everything else, and you can use that to, to buy or sell stuff. 200 years ago, if you read that passage, a lot of people would say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Today, if I read that passage, I'm like, I just read about that in the tech newspaper. Has it become less plausible over the last 200 years or more plausible over the last 200 years? Far more plausible. Here's the point I want to make out of all that. I want to lay out for you what exactly that lays out. And again, as you listen to that, you're like, man, that is wild. And yet, as we talk about these five issues that I just went over today, over the last 200 years, on every single one of those issues, it sure seems like we're heading in the direction where what the Bible predicted is getting closer and closer. And so here's my suggestion to you. I suggest, number one, that you believe that the Bible is true in one prophecy. Number two, that if you are a Christian, we need to be thankful that we are on the right side, but we also need to get serious about our evangelism and recognize that we need to have those that we love in the kingdom and not on the outside looking in. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I would urge you, for this reason and for many others, you need Jesus. As we think about what the Bible teaches this morning, what is to come is nothing to be sneaked at. And we need to make sure that when it happens, we know Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning thanking you uh, for the information, the insight that you give us about what is to come. We have to admit, Father, we're amazed as we think about what you've predicted and how those pieces come together in ways we never could have guessed. Father, now I pray that you would help us to recognize the urgency to be right ourselves and to let others know they need to be with us. Right with you.